It's lunchtime at Tim Hortons, and we're serving up a special deal just for you. Our new $5.99 lunch deal includes your choice of any lunch sandwich and a side of crunchy kettle chips. Because what's lunch without a little crunch? And the sandwich choice is all yours. Like a ham and Swiss, Chipotle chicken wrap, BLT, and more. Made to order just the way you like it. Tim Hortons' new lunch deal. Simple, delicious, and just $5.99. Now that's a good deal. Only at your neighborhood Tim's. U.S. only. Price and participation vary. Terms apply. Hey, Crit Nation. We wanted to do something special. We're not sure if everyone knows, but we started delving into other tabletop RPGs on our new show, Dyson Dialogue. Now, enjoy this episode of Dyson Dialogue, and make sure to head on over to rebrand.ly slash Dyson Dialogue and subscribe to our new RSS feed and make sure you don't miss out on any episodes. Join Dyson Dialogue, Cypher Sister RPG Part 3, as we explore the Cypher System rules and learn how to use its unique mechanics to enhance your tabletop experience. From using Cypher to introduce GM intrusions, we'll show you how to tailor the rules to fit your table and create memorable experiences with your players. Hello and welcome, heroes, to Crit Academy Dyson Dialogue. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Alex. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. I am really, really excited to delve into the the more crunchy mechanic aspects of Numenera. If you're following along, this is part three on the Cypher system in Numenera. There is a lot that makes each and every RPG unique, while there's a lot that makes them similar, right? Yeesh. And there's pros and cons with all of those. So we're going to talk on those and we're going to give a little bit more detail in the, the specifics of how they work. And then we're going to share with how we think we can probably use some of those mechanics in our games. Now, everyone knows we've already touched on the fact that it is a D20 system, which basically means you're rolling a 20-sided die for to resolve most conflicts whether it's skill checks uh attack rolls defense rolls pretty much the die you'll be holding most of the time yep does that about make sense yes so at this point it's very similar to a lot of d20 systems right and i think that that's a a a, a big that's a strong uh thing it's got going for it but there is something about the d20 system inherently that some people don't like do you guys know what it is but, that they can uh, be wrong. <laughs> they can be wrong? Okay. That they can fail? Yeah. That there's usually other dice needed to it? No, it's typically that there's a huge swing, right? Yep. There's Uh-oh. a big range between success and failure. Now, in our favorite 5e game, the assumption is the characters have like a 60% chance to succeed. In general, that, yes. That's a pretty big swing in the grand scheme of when everyone misses what happens. Nothing. Absolutely. The game is slowed down. So some people don't like that. Now, in Numenera, I think it works very, very well because they have a very specific system to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And I think because the GM doesn't make any rolls, it's all put on the player side. And that is a fantastic mechanic design because, as I touched on in the previous episodes, it's less work on the GM, but more importantly, and this is Justin's opinion, it adds engagement on players when it's not their turn. Yep. Right? Have you guys ever been at a table with quite a few people and you feel like you get bored by the time your turn comes around? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I'm a dungeon master and I get bored by the time the next person's turn comes around. <laughs> oh, <no>. Ouch. <laughs> well, some people just take so long. <laughs> Brandon, this is true. I think she's shooting your direction. What I do? No, Some people I'm take not. so long. I, like I don't take long on my my uh, turns. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. After being a DM and watching my fucking players. Oh, see, my story, my 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 experience is before you were a DM. Oh, before I was a DM. Yeah, I don't know what I was doing. <laughs> I'd be on my phone, and be like, "Hey, it's your turn." It's like, oh shit. Uh, okay, I'm gonna attack. Hang on, guy. can you wait a second? The episode of Simpsons is almost over. <laughs> Wait, you're going to attack who? Uh, this guy. He's dead. Fuck. Okay. 
So the reason I, I point that out, and no, <laughs> no shade, I'm, I'm throwing shade and jest at Brandon because I know that he's made the evolution from I'm slow to now I hate people when they're slow. I'm gonna have to do better, right? Um, You're a better so, person now. <laughs> <laughs> for I'm some sorry. people, that's too much swing. No, that's perfect. That's the kind of uh, banter that I encourage. No, I don't like uh, <laughs> classes that take too long just because of all the shit they have. It's like, oh, I got level. Oh, Wizards. Uh, level 12 fighter, and he's got like five attacks. But that's all he's doing. It's the same five attacks. Roll five d20s at once. Anyways, we're... That's what I tell him to do. Yeah. Some people, some people do do that. So the, the point I'm trying to make is some people don't like the system because the range is so high. Ah. It would be better to hit far more frequently so you feel like you're accomplishing something, right? Because yep. there's nothing worse than getting up to your turn, swinging your big weapon, and being done. So I do think it has that kind of strike against it, but that's a problem that all D20 systems stem from. Now, it doesn't bother me so much. I lower AC and just amp up damage, so they hit more often, honestly. But... Anyways, so uh, in that respect, that's the first thing to go, whether it's initiative, skill checks, attack rolls, still the D20, defense rolls. Yep. The game uses a difficulty rating system uh, we touched on previously, which is doubled down in the way it's used. So instead of just having a target number of 1 to 30, you have a difficulty of 1 to 10 that is then multiplied by 3 to get that, to get that particular target number. Now... This is something I think is really, really unique because, as we touched on before, Numenera allows the players to use edges, assets, assists, and skills to reduce that target number. What happens when you do that? It stacks. Yeah, and then your chance to succeed skyrockets. Mm -hmm. To me, that actually offsets the biggest complaint about D20 systems. Yeah. What are your guys' thoughts on that particular mechanic? It definitely lets characters built for a particular situation to shine. And it certainly encourages teamwork as well, too. Right. That's a good one. Remember? I absolutely adore the fact that it is so simplistic and yet so many variables happen at the same time. A lot of times it feels like they really want their system to be cool and stylish. So they'll give all these different options and then all these different variables to the options. But whenever you multiply them all together, it just clunks the whole thing down. It yeah. really feels like they've found a great, a great balance, which is not like the correct balance, but like there, there is no correct balance, but they found a great yeah. balance between, um, there's things you can do, and then there are variables on those things. The things you can do is, like, three fucking things. The variables on those things is just immense. And it, right. and if you can convince your DM, if you can, and there's a lot of, like, uh, oh, come on, man, like, talk, like, what about this? Think about it this way. And that causes the player to, just thinking about it from a GM standpoint, that causes the player to, again, go from the defense to the offense, to going from passive to active. And this whole get all of this all this um, crunch in this game, in my personal opinion, brings a player from passive to active, and this is just another one of those things. And I do feel like compared to other RPGs we've all played, that the crunch in this game is relatively minimal. Right, but I think it handles it in a way that keeps the players engaged. Yep. And I think yes. that's a that's a big that's a big thing because it's easy to sit by in a game like D and D and wait your turn. Oh, I'm proficient in charisma. I'm going to give a roll check. Well, that's still got that big swing unless you have a bunch of skills stacked into it, which does let you succeed. But there's still a pretty good chance you could fail depending on what the target DC is. Instead of trying to hit this target DC, taking abilities that reduce the complexity to increase your chance to succeed, I think is uh, a core aspect because I'm going to be honest and we all know this the game master wants you to win <laughs> we want you to succeed unless you're a dick unless you're a dick <laughs> <laughs> but most cases I think that's true not that they're a dick well okay yeah that too but they want you to succeed <laughs> yeah. I think that the way the, the dice system set up here especially in combat is you're rolling less dice but you're rolling them much more often between all the players yes didn't even think about that. Huh. It's pretty good. Especially when you break down the, the initiative, since the players are rolling both attack and defense, and defense. And since you don't roll anything, that kind of keeps them engaged in that regard. And that's and that was the point I was trying to make earlier. Um, I want to give Brandon a, a, a chance to talk on this too, but the fact that this rule system encourages players to be engaged in a time when it would normally be downtime for them yep. is yep. a huge bonus 
because that means they're always paying attention to what's going on because you know if you get attacked, you have to deal with it. Yep. Not just <laughs> that you might have a shield spell or a single reaction, but if five guys attack you, you have to do five different defense rolls. Yep. And I think that that is a really fun way to keep the players entertained. That's what I'm talking about, about the passive, bringing the players from the passive to the active. Instead yeah. of you seeking out them doing things, they want to seek you out to do things. Right. And, yeah. and that this is a really good game to do that. And by default, when the players are being attacked, it's their stat pools are being attacked because it mm -hmm. doubles as both their fuel and their health, as which, effectively. <laughs> which means their skills become harder to do. And Combined with the fact that if you keep blowing through your skills, you're that much easier to take down. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we move farther, did you have any thoughts on this? Yeah, it's actually where uh, armor comes into play, too. Yep. It's because uh, even when the players are using light, medium, and heavy weapons, so are the enemies. And what, what was the uh, amount? It was two, four, and six. That's the amount of damage that those do. Something like that. Yeah. Depends on the... It depends on the... Uh, the weapon? Weapon, yeah. yeah. But if you're smacked by uh, a heavy weapon... And you gotta take six damage into might or speed or whatever uh, defense roll you had to do. Uh, if you're wearing heavy armor, it negates three points of that damage. For uh, light, medium, heavy armor, it's one, two, three. Yeah. They made mm -hmm. it very simplified for that reason. And I think that's really cool. Yep. And what else I like about this specific system here is that if it's a difficulty of seven or higher, you have to spend effort to be able to succeed. You need mm -hmm. an asset to succeed. You need something to put into this to succeed, or you're gonna fail. Because you can't roll higher than 20. <laughs> yeah. Because a D20 goes up to 20. You can't roll a 21 or above. You it's not an it auto down. success on a 20. No, you got to bring it down. And, and so I, I kind of want to delve into that a little bit. So we're talking about how you can use these different um, abilities, the skills, the edges to alter the DC. But when you get into fights and you lose those... It's a very powerful reflection of your character's ability to be exhausted from combat. Because not only are you taking might and speed, but you're losing your pool of intellect. So somebody who would normally have all the answers to something is worn out from combat. And it captures that really, really well. You get more sluggish yep. when you lose speed points. When you lose might, you get weaker. And I don't think I in 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 D and D, and I'm gonna keep coming back to that because that's the most pop, one of the most popular RPGs. Yep. But when you're at 100 hit points or two hit points, your character is what? The exact same. Right. Nothing changes. Yeah. Instead, here we have a range of abilities based on how stressed and how much combat and struggles the character's been through, whether it's a skill challenge or, or puzzle or something. No, I do think it is worth mentioning that by default, when you take damage, first your it sucks drains from your might pool, then your speed pool, then your intellect pool. Now there are some abilities that can target pools, Target others, yep. Such as like if you get hit with a psionic attack, that's attacking your mental pool. Mm -hmm. and, which is one of the reasons why because I build an intellectual based character he got extra armor against mental attacks and just mental attacks. Right. Alex, what did you, what do you think? I just, again, I just think the system, the entire, the more that we talk about it, the more I'm like, wow, they really built this system player first. Yeah. Like just absolutely player driven. Just, pl I, I'm just, the more we're talking about it, the more it, it's, I'm, I'm realizing like, wow, they really, it's really player driven. And it's, yeah. it's, fantastic honestly because again like i said in last episode to me this is a game that i could easily have on the side of all of my stuff that i have with my friends that i've been that i've had for like eight years and we all have big boy jobs and we you know i just i feel like this is such an easy like pick up and play kind of thing which is crazy because it's 400 pages and books like the books yeah. like thick and you're just like i i don't know if Damn, i can yeah thick. you can you can play this you can pick up and play this it is it is that simple I still find it hilarious, though, that this thick monstrosity g fills up a two-page character sheet, and even then, each page is not completely full, especially at tier <laughs> one. But I do think it's worth mentioning that my friend Dion, this is actually one of his favorite systems to play in, and he's played lots of RPGs over the years. So so it's funny you say that, because uh, Alicia, one of Alicia's cousins actually mentioned this game to me years ago. Yep. And he was saying how it you know, exceeds expectations for Pathfinder or D&D &D because it's so versatile. And I had looked it up at the time and I was like, I don't really want to learn another system. Plus my show is about D&D. &D. 
So <laughs> I'm just like, okay. But now I regret be- not doing that because I feel like there's a lot to learn. And I'd like to kind of segue into that. So we talked about how it uses the init- the, the Roll20 tw- system. One of the things that I really, really liked about it is how that packs things like initiative. Mm-hmm. So we talked about being able to apply edges and um, skills and other traits to and assets to skill checks. In this game, yep. initiative is a skill check. So if you want to be a character who goes first more often, you can take edges and assets and use effort to boost your ranking in combat yep specifically on initiative and i think that that is really really cool and i think that's something you could easily take to any rpg yes now not every rpg has pools do they No. no but what could we do no using this concept and apply it to another rpg system that uses some sort of initiative my first thought is health points Everybody That's, has what a pool of hit That's what I was yeah, thinking. That's what I was thinking. Everybody has a pool of hit points, and also if you're you, if you're rolling initiative, you're immediately starting to be like, "Oh shit, what's my health?" Because like y- you're you're about to fight, right? So of course, yep. like you're uh, you're you're already thinking about that as a commodity at this point. So I would just pull it from a health health pool. I was specifically thinking fifth edition's hit point uh, hit dice. Yep. Um, ah, the hit resource. dice would be good. Yeah. So you could expend hit dice. To either re-roll your D20 or maybe just give a static bonus. Mm-hmm. Every right. hit die you spend, maybe you roll the hit die and add that to your bonus. Because you're giving one resource for an edge in initiative. Oh. See what I did there? That's, yep. You guys seeing that? I didn't see no giggles. I, did. I thought that was really good. Oh, I'm yeah. doing the eyebrows. <laughs> yeah. Now, I do want to touch on something that we have not talked about in the previous episodes. Which is? Well... We, we, of course, covered the fact that the main die you're going to be using is a D20. And you can also use D100s. And I can kind of count the way they handle D100s. It says, just roll two D20s and use, use the second digit on each die. <laughs> that seems pretty straightforward. And then two, 2020 is crit, or 100, right? Yeah. And it's pretty easy. Which is mostly used for, like, running for ciphers. But the last one is you occasionally roll a D6 when you rest to recover your pool. But, yes. But what I really like, though, is how... It works. Like, the first time you rest, it's one action, boom, you recover. Yep. Second time, it's ten minutes. Ten minutes. Third time, is one hour. Fourth time, it's a day. I like how the more time you take to recover, the more beat up you get, the longer it takes to heal back. <laughs> You're right. We didn't talk about that, and that's an exactly a good topic for this one. So, one of the things that we talked about with the hit points being related to your pools, this is another way of showing that progression that solves the problem of, I rest. I rest. Yep. I rest. Ugh. I rest. Because player players do that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, we, yep. we 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 got our asses kicked by these kobolds. We thought we would mow down. Let's run outside and camp. It's like in my game, that's not going to happen. You're going to get wake up to an ambush. But a lot of players try to do that. This <laughs> system innately deters that. And to be fair, some GMs let players get away with that. That's also true. Only you could prevent dickish players. <laughs> I've lost count how many times where I'd seen. GMs in general complain about stuff their players do. I'm like, you're the GM. What did you do to to solve that problem? Alicia would say lightning bolt from the sky. Problem yeah. solved. Now, ideally, in a way that's not diggish, per se. But yeah, it's the only setting I come on. I do really enjoy the fact, though, that that they took the time to be like, all right, what's reasonable? And like make that progression. I mean, mm-hmm. it feels so simple to to have a progressing, okay, more, okay, more. Like, because you're pushing yourself, but I, do you, does anyone know of another system that does something like that? That it's, uh, it's prog- like it progresses? Not that I can think of. And I don't know offhand. And the other thing that, that I thought about too is the fact that how long each rest take depends on how big that is the worst exhausted player. <laughs> Yes, so that includes their different debilitations, right? Yep. Like because like somebody who keeps being beat up in one fight will take longer to do the rest, and somebody like I barely used the abilities or barely got touched at all. <laughs> uh, it's it's just something I remembered that my players did that I got absolutely pissed off at, so I got my vengeance on them. Let's hear it. They went to go rest, and it was this was just after a massive fight and part of the storyline. The big bad is just standing there waiting for them. Well, that's and... problem number one. Why is the bad guy just sitting waiting? Because he watched one of his journals get dominated by them. 
So now he's just waiting. So, like, as well, he's running. The, his whole storyline is he wants them to get stronger because he's no one's been able to uh, give him a challenge in the 500 years he's been alive. Oh my god, this is like Goku and Rat or Raditz and Vegeta much, waiting yeah. for Goku to show he's up for like, the challenge. Come on, get stronger, do your thing. So what do they do? They go to rest in front of him. They open up a uh, kind of magnificent mansion and just disappear. He's like. <laughs> Uh-uh, I ain't having that. So he destroys the platform that they destroy, They teleported on, which is over, <laughs> so when it comes back. Which is over a volcano. <laughs> oh! <laughs> and, and while they were in the mansion, the Bagman kidnapped one of her kobolds. The Bagman? Is that the guy from the hides in the bag of holding? Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, they, they had a, a kobold NPC that became their friend, and now he's gone. <laughs> I would have took one of Yoink! the players. So, uh, kind of uh, bringing it back here... Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that any RPG could find a resource to let the players tap into to gain additional benefits. We've talked about it in 5e with hit dice more than once. Mm-hmm. Um, and so while this one pulls from their their stat pools, whether it's hit points or hit die or whatever you come up with, offer those as options to every player. Make them, allow them to make a choice, especially if somebody rolls like a one or two and that can be devastating if all the enemies go before you. Yep. So giving them a, a, a resource to do a little bit better so only half the enemies go before you might be worth it. I don't know if Alex, if you got right. anything to add to that. Uh, no, I just realized that the only die that you're going to use in this game is a D20, so it's an excuse to use your chonky metal dice. <laughs> like, the, 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 the big, you know what I'm talking about? The chonkers, the yeah. big dice, the ones that are, like, My literally the size of your fist <laughs> that yeah. damage the table. <laughs> yeah, like, it's an excuse to use those die, those D20s. True, and yeah. I'm just saying, like, I, I take an excuse to use those. Yeah. You do use the D6 for resting, but that's the only other one, I and think. The oh, okay. For tables. Uh, and if, if we hadn't made it clear, like, damage is static. Yep. Um, I think that's yes. great. Because guess what that means? No hard maths. Yep. I think nope. this system does a great job of simplifying the math, simplifying the roles, keeping everything simple. But there's still a lot of depth in there if you mm-hmm. look for it. So that brings me to the the next thing. We were talking about all the roles that the players get in defensive roles. This is another thing I think can be added to any game where the uh, GM has um, uh, monsters or attack roles that the players do yep. that monsters do. You can have them do a defense role. Instead, treat it as the monster's role, but just inverse it. Right? And you have a defense roll. Any game that uses a D20 or an attack die, you can make the players do that for you. And actually, they kind of did that somewhat in 4th edition, if you think about that. They did. Because, like, most, like, 3.5, 5th, everyone, everything rolls saves. Whereas in 4th edition, they didn't really roll saves. They just added 10 to what would have been a save. And yep. then the players just roll attacks against that particular defense. Yep. It was great. <laughs> Absolutely. And and so I think that this is another takeaway from Cypher and other games like 4th Edition that did do this, yep. where you can take work off the GM's workload and pass it on to the players, at the same time adding a level of engagement to the players, which is exactly what Numenera and Cypher System does. Yes. Does that make sense? Yep. Absolutely. Brandon has the deer in the headlights look, so I wasn't sure if it came across clear. Um. So... Uh, we kind of talked about the, the, the attack roles and defense roles, um, which are very common. Combat is very common, but it is worth noting that combat is secondary in Numenera specifically. Um, and by, in general, the cipher system that has a heavy emphasis on player agency and uh, um, imagination, right? And even though it's secondary, right. you just still love enjoy it to be ahead from it. Yep. But and and so that the I'm glad you said that because some people would take that as a negative, right? Yeah. Um, but I think it's worth noting that there's a lot to learn from this to expand on the other pillars of roleplay. Yep. You know, yeah. com in 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 fifth edition, despite all it can do, it clearly most of the book is combat abilities, right? So we we sometimes struggle with the lore, social interaction, and exploration pillars. Yep. The way Numenera and the Cypher system is set up encourages the focus on those because you get rewarded for them with XP, for instance. Yep. But not XP in the traditional sense we no. touched on in the previous ep- episode, but almost like a, a reward token. Yep. Now, here's mm-hmm. what I, I like. There's three primary, 
four primary ways you can upgrade your character once you hit four XP. You want to touch on those? Yeah. And the other thing I like too is once you level up your character, you, once you level up, actually it's five, but once you level up that way at that tier, you ch check it off your character sheet. You can't advance that way anymore at that tier. Once you hit all five advancement types, then you character is upgraded to the next tier. Then mm -hmm. you start all over again. That's awesome. Which means, depending on how the G GM awards XP, like mm -hmm. being like one for everybody, you get two, give one to somebody else. Potentially, if some players are engaged or doing a good job, they might be able to potentially, for better or worse, level up faster. Oh. Now, I think that's a huge benefit. Yeah. Because I've always preferred milestone leveling yeah. over traditional experience because nobody's – we're adults. What did, what, did you, what did you say, Alex? We have uh, adult work to do. Big boy jobs. <laughs> Big boy Big jobs. Big boy jobs. <laughs> now, I find it interesting, too, that the XP that you used to level up, you can either stock them up to advance – we can burn them for extra rolls. You have to try to balance that out as much as possible. And that's an interesting, once again, that comes back to player agency. Now, yep. uh, Brandon, we talked briefly about uh, GM intrusion. Yes. So um, in GM intrusion, the GM basically decides to add a twist or complication to the detail of a scenario based on the roll check the player made. Yep. In the past, it's been based on, for other games, it's usually a 1 or a 20, right? Yep. But that's not really... Well, the, the limitation here. Well, GM does get an intrusion at one, though. It does, but yeah. it's not the only trigger. Yeah. Of course, the catch, though, is the player does not gain the XP for it. Ouch. That's brutal. Yep. So now you get just the bad, yep. not the good and the bad. And it's also worth mentioning, too, you can spend your XP to negate a GM intrusion, but you don't gain XP from it. You lose it. You instead. lose it. So there's a lot of uh, – that, that's actually a really good <laughs> point. That. Um, but I also want to just touch on the fact that in the book, it actually uh, – not only does it recommend against hoarding your XP, you know, obviously getting getting up to 4 XP so that you're able to level – to go to the next level is really important. But it really wants – it really advises you against um, hoarding the XP. And it even says in the book – that if your player gains 10 XP, you are supposed to throw event after event after event at them to force them to use their XP because it is just – that's too much and it, and it unbalances the game. And yeah. I find that very interesting that they would literally include, like, don't hoard it because our tendency as players is to hoard. Like, we like yeah. to, like, have all the money and have all the magic items and mine, 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 mine. We like to hoard things. So I really, really appreciate the fact that they put a little note in there to be like, don't hoard XP. Use of, it. Of course, it depends on how stubborn your players are, too. Yeah. <laughs> like, one of the first things that chapter says. <laughs> These are just guidelines. So. And actually, do you find that funny that in the Dragon Kind game I did play at, I did hoard my XP, but... I was able to boost my edge for might to the point where it's like, I literally do not have to spend any might for my might pool for extra effort. Right. <laughs> or using my my ability, abilities. And it actually kind of felt freaking awesome. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by us. Exotic Equipment Perks is now available. A PDF at CritAcademy.com or hardcover on and PDF on Drive-Thru RPG. Yay! What is Exotic Equipment Perks? I'm so glad that you asked. Fun stuff. <laughs> We've always found that in 5th edition, weapons were more than just weapons for slicing, cutting, and breaking. Instead, they should be tools in the hands of a master. And let's be honest, most adventures are masters, not so much ones Brandon rolls. But... <laughs> With exotic equipment perks, those weapons become an important choice during character creation. If you choose a rapier, it might come with an ability to counter an attack. If you choose a warhammer, you might gain bonuses to slamming uh, shields and knocking them free. If you choose a trident, you might be able to redirect attack to a nearby enemy. If this sounds like something you want to check out, you need to check out Exotic Equipment Perks, because not only did we take it from awesome weapons, but we created unique perks for the armor as well. Let's be honest, nobody ever wants to wear chainmail shirts unless they have to, because there's better options. But what if you're fighting a dragon that spews lightning? 
well. Being able to pull that chain shirt off as an action becomes very valuable. Or how about this? You're wearing a cloth shirt and you're wounded. Somebody can rip the tear off your shirt and use it as an impromptu triage to gain bonuses to rescue you as you lay out bleeding out. Or wearing hide armor gives you bonuses to cold weather environments. Yes, because it's made of fur. Exotic Equipment Perks is now available. Please check it out. You're going to love it. It'll take your 5th edition uh, combat strategy and character building to a whole new level. And I'm not just saying that because I wrote it. You know, I just brought this up to my players. Like, oh, I'm using a glaive. It's not just a halberd. It's like, no. Like, oh, actually, yes, they have the exact same stats. Same stat? Yeah, that's same also weight, a problem. Same price, same everything. You know what you should do? You should check out Credit Academy's weapon first. <laughs> <laughs> or how a longsword does the exact same amount of damage as a battle axe. Yeah. But costs way more for no apparent reason. But see, with exotic equipment perks, you now get bonuses with each and every one of those. We even added perks to toolkits. Head on over to CritAcademy.com and pick it up. As we were discussing... There's a lot of different skills and abilities within the Cypher system. We talked a, a little bit about uh, uh, the GM intrusions. Once again, a GM intrusion is a powerful way to add a story branch to an opportunity that can help add a complication, but add bonus rewards to the player characters. Yep. This is a great opportunity to do that in any RPG. Let's say, for instance... Your characters are being stealthy, and they're trying to sneak into the noble's house to uh, drop off and, or swap a document, a forged document, with a different one, right? So that it says what they want to say. And on the way out, um, Billy Thunderfoot accidentally trips over a nearby vase, and it goes splash on the ground. That might alert the guards. That would be the most simple GM intrusion, right? Mm-hmm. But what if instead it didn't alert the guards? What if instead, later on, they get tracked by a bounty hunter because the vase they knocked over was an urn of that family's first king or first nobleman? And now they are so desperate to find out who desecrated their family heirloom. There are now bounty hunters chasing the players throughout the end. That, to me, is a delayed GM intrusion. But a fun one. What do you guys think? Clever. My like favorite part of DM intrusions and GM intrusions is the fact that not only not only are you excited to do this GM intrusion, like you're bounty hunters, let's go, but the <laughs> players will specifically get rewarded for it. So yes. they want these intrusions to happen, and you can use a use a hit use a um, an XP. And make it to where the intrusion doesn't happen. Like you're like, no, it's not happening. No, go away. You can actually <laughs> do that, but it that is actually at a detriment to yourself to do yep. that because then you don't get more XP. Right. So they've designed the entire system for players to want you to fuck with them <laughs> and let's go. Like, come on. Like that's amazing. Add more levels of awesome. Yep. <laughs> um, Brandon. Uh, we talked briefly about the effort system. Yes. Do you want to expand upon that in detail and then talk about how you think it could be used in any RPG? Okay, so effort. Let's say I got a might of 20, which is what my character had. And Still couldn't get out of a grapple. Eat my ass. Let's say I got to make a might defense roll, right? Something's attacking me, I got to defend against it. Now, as a warrior, I've... And uh, the the one who defends the gate, I got that skill that allows me to have uh, might defense checks eased, so that brings the difficulty down by one. And I could put some effort into it by spending some of those points already to succeed on the attack. Now, if this is an attack that's going to do three damage to me, then I wouldn't do something like that. Three is not a lot? No. You shrug it off. Because if I'm going to spend three points of might... To use an effort to try to succeed, what's the point if I'm already taking three damage out of my pool? That's a fair point. Yeah. Or a fair three points. But maybe it's a weapon that's heavy and it's doing six points of damage instead. Well, maybe it's worth taking the three points instead of a six. Yeah. So. Yeah. And the effort can be applied to skills and checks and knowledge checks and all that stuff yeah. too. All of it. Well, keep well keep in mind, depending on how much edge you have in different categories, you can get a discount on your effort too. Yep. So, so you can even do more. Like a like if I need to lift a boulder or something like that. 
It's the same concept. I could drop a three points out of my might. I could put an effort into it. Let's say I have a jack. That would be considered an asset that could help me mm-hmm. jack it up, right? <laughs> 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 and maybe my friends help me. That could also bring the difficulty down. And I think this is a skill that could be something that could be applied to any other RPG as well. So, yep. Actually, any... I got a question about that. How about it? Can effort be stacked? I think you can only do one per task, two, two per task. I think, yeah. There is a limit. Okay. But still, the fact that it allows you to ease a difficulty on anything is super valuable. And using 5th edition is kind of a, a, an, a, an analogy for every other RPG because that's the one play. that's one people are playing is we could go back to the hit die, right? I'm sure Alex can attest to this. By making um, saying, okay, I want to apply extra effort, so maybe you roll your d20 and then roll your hit die. And add that to your role. Yep. So you're significantly increasing your chance of success at the cost of a precious resource. I yep. think it would be fun. That'd too. be more dangerous at lower levels and higher levels, of course, but yeah. That's true. I think it would be fun too, is like depending on, on level. Like well, maybe levels one through five, it's just one. Maybe it's equal to your uh you lose your proficiency bonus for a certain number of time or something. So I was thinking at higher levels, one people have an exorbitant amount of HP. You're like, okay, the DC for this is going to be eighteen. For every five HP that you expend, I'll drop that DC by two. Okay. Mm-hmm. Or something like that. It so needs to be something that scales re- regularly. Yeah, that's, so yeah. I think uh, proficiency bonus could be a tool, right? Yeah. You, uh, it, you can spend a number of hit dice up to your proficiency bonus to increase your chance of success. Now, as he pointed out, that's dangerous. But if you're <laughs> about to fall to your death from 3,000 feet out of a flying uh, giant eagle that's got you in its claws... Maybe it's worth it to hopefully not lose your grip. Alex, do you have any comments on this? I just, I just like it. (laughs) I just, I, I think that um, using, I think that using hit points to me is like the one that, the one that I would personally do to, because it, it allows people to tap into that pool and it allows that to be more of a resource than it already is. And I'm trying to think if Bloodhunter does that, does Bloodhunter use your HP as a pool? I it, don't know. It does. I was recently talking to somebody in a store remember. who ran Blood Hunter, and they said that you yeah. use your HP as a pool to do abilities or something. Yeah. I would probably do that as a guide. I would use that as a guide of how they scaled that, and then yeah. I would scale, and then I, I would use that scale and apply it to being able to add and subtract to things with your with your hit points. Yeah. And I think overall what we're getting at that Numenera does really well, it allows the players to expend additional resources to reduce challenges and increase chances of success at a cost. And regardless of what game you're playing, we GMs and most times want the players to succeed. So giving you more options won't necessarily be a bad thing. I mean, if the player decides that kicking down a door is worth sacrificing a hit die or hit points to ensure success. Then you never run into the, the big strong brute guy fail rolls a one and can't kick down the damn door. That just is eliminated entirely. And that's why I think what we have with Numenera and Cypher system is so great because, because of their edges, because of their effort, because of their assets, because of the help of their friends, they can literally reduce the challenge to nothing so that there's no chance of failure. And that's something I think really is an accelerant to excellent storytelling because no longer do you get the situation Mm -hmm. where the barbarian rolls a one and fails to kick down the door and then the wizard just knocks and it opens Mm -hmm. because technically nothing stops the wizard from making that check either because everyone can apply a little bit of oomph, right? So in that situation, I get stuck with, well, one of the hinges was cracked from the barbarian. So when the wizard pushed it, you know, it opened, but you kind of can negate that entire system altogether so Mm -hmm. for me as a gm let's say in fifth edition i might say oh the dc's 15 well you're trained in athletics i'm not even gonna make you roll you you break down the door we can take that sort of the difficulty rating setting yeah and and leverage it and lower it ourselves based on who's making the attempt yep but there is some risk with that so keep that in mind Mm -hmm. if you're changing dcs and it's not been told to your players they're gonna know so just be upfront about it and they have seen some house rules here and there of changing dcs like you said mm-hmm. judging by okay who's trying to break down the, down the door yeah and that's sometimes the best way to do it so 
but Numenera figured that out and have done and Cipher System has done a really good job. So, yeah. is there any final points before we uh, end this uh, last part of this three-part miniseries? We've touched on this before in the previous episodes, but you don't really see GMs, at least in the games I played, reward temporary items very often. And if you do, people tend to hoard them, saying, "I do this later." Now here, you reward them all the time. That you get high value from them, but because you can only hold so many at a time, they encourage you to use, use them. them. And I, you're right. That's a really good one, and I think could be applied to any RPG. Yeah. Give lots and lots of items that are one-time use. Yep. In fantasy, it's probably like a potion, right? Yep. Or maybe instead of like giving a players like a plus one magic bow, give them a quiver of plus one arrows. Oh, that's good. <laughs> also, fun fact. Ammo bonuses stack with weapon bonuses. People don't seem to remember that. I didn't know that. So in other words, if you have a plus three magic weapon with plus three ammo, it's now plus six. <laughs> Ouch. I didn't know that. I Most know people that don't. <laughs> All right, Alex, do you have anything to add before we close out here? This was a really fun game. And from an accessibility point, from a person that really cannot read very well, um, I was super pleasantly surprised with not only the fact that the book is very readable and it's very easy to understand and intuitive and intuitively worded, but also if you have trouble reading or if you need to uh, magnify things, if you have trouble with, or like maybe you have migraines from small font, if you go to the SRD, the SRD is a Word document that you can put into Google Docs and then change the font and change the size and change the color and change the, you can change everything in it. So from an accessibility point, this is, this is a really, really, I'm just really happy with how, how easy it was for me to read this yeah and that's just something i wanted to touch on just lightly (laughs) (laughs) wonderful brandon do you have anything to add uh i enjoyed this game quite a bit and i think i might actually bring the system up to my players at some point once they finish out this campaign be like hey you guys want to try a new system send some of them my dice are trembling for with excitement for you yeah i mean (laughs) i think we've all expressed interest in playing this game again and what's nice, too, is I know I linked this in our messenger group, but I found a website that can generate characters like that. <laughs> Which is great when I like to kill them. I mean, that's great. But my point, though, is it's just that much easier to hand up pre-gens the players say, let's go. Right. All you need to know is on the sheet. <laughs> now here is our unearthed tips and tricks, system agnostic content for your tabletop RPG game. Our monster for you today is the Dracol. Now, is that if, like an asshole? Well, you just drag him along? Never mind. <laughs> Dragon's asshole? How long asshole? you saving that? Too uh, long. <laughs> uh, literally like four seconds. How long you was sitting on it, you mean? You, you said, you said Dracol. Joke. I was like, that sounds like asshole. Hey, Dustin. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to be talking about the Dracol. It is a mixed blood hybrid of a troll and a dragon. What nightmares do you want to have every night? There's a lot. Oh, okay. Um, I have to kind of try to organize my thoughts. Anyways. <laughs> What makes this creature so interesting, this giant of a creature, um, we're going to say it's a green drackle because it has green, green dragon blood, which means it has strengths, um, you know, such as poison re- immunity and disease immunity and all that jazz. Uh, it is a very unique creature in the fact that it is very territorial, but doesn't really go outside its territory at all. Yep. So... What makes it interesting from a combat perspective is it has poison dragon breath, which honestly I think should and always poison the target and weaken them in some capacity. That would be cool. Um, Also, it has regeneration of the troll because it's half troll. It's got to regenerate now. Yeah. It regenerates after every combat round, right? Um, As a GM, you can determine what it is depending on the RPG system that you're playing. But it has to have a weakness to stop the regeneration. Because it'll be alive as long as it can regenerate. Yep. If it starts at zero hit points, still regenerates. Unless you deal... What kind of damage do you think? Well, considering well, the trolls are up, most people think acid or fire. Fire? But... What would you pick instead of that? Let's see. Instead of acid or fire. Cold. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm thinking. I think cold would be a good one. So our Dracol is going to be vulnerable to cold, and that's what stops its regeneration. Because guess what? Every single player that fights a troll is going to do. Fireball. So we're changing it up. On top of that. Why not? Why not? (laughs) On top of that, we're going to give it a really high armor class because it's covered in dragon scales. 
right? So whatever you consider a high in your RPG. But what really is makes this is they are creatures of they are humanoid creatures and they're semi-intelligent. I'd give them like a, a, a seven or an eight intelligence. Yep. They're not as smart as humans, but they're excellent survivalists. But they're smarter than dogs. Depends on the dog. I've heard I've heard two intelligence scores. Oh, so dog got like a seven or a six? It's like a two. <laughs> okay, so they're smarter than dogs. I guess that's a thing. <laughs> All right, so that's kind of the overview of the monster we're going to talk about. So in this discussion, we're going to give you some ideas that you can use to springboard, because I know uh, uh, this team likes to give you ideas to trigger something in your mind to help bring this creature to life in your story and campaigns. So how do you guys, we'll let Alex go first. How do you see yourself using a monster like this with regeneration, a poison breath that just, I would also give it like an AOE poison, like a fart that just literally just blows gas everywhere in the circle and destroys the terrain, like kills it. Alex? I think the first thing that I think of is um, min- like like minions of the green dragon. The first, oh, okay. The first thing that I think of is like this party going to this area, and they're not knowing that it's part of the green dragon's territory, and they just run across this thing, and they're like, "What the fuck is that?" <laughs> and and like they observe it, like they're just so confused by what they're seeing, and then it attacks them and stuff. That's kind of just like a like a out of left field like one of my favorite encounters that i ever had in my life was in my dming career is there were they were going in an abolith layer they're an abolith layer so they started mm-hmm. seeing these crazy grotesque um hallucinations of like a, a horse or a unicorn drinking water and then all of a sudden all the guts fall out of the ho- of the unicorn and it falls over like a tent you know all this stuff and then it all of a sudden they see this goth and i had a couple of people who had never heard of beholders never heard of goths so i described it and it sounded like one of the horrors again so then they threw a rock at it and it was real <laughs> it was a goth <laughs> And that's like one of my favorite memories. And so that's what I think of whenever I think of this. Just like, that's that's not real. That's not. Oh, that's real. Oh, that's, re-, you know, so that's what I think of. That's interesting. Um, I like that. <laughs> now, I'll admit, my knee-jerk reaction was. Shoot with Firebolt? <laughs> to basically have it serve as a warning for players. Or at least r- rumors of it. Oh, don't go to the swamp. There's <laughs> <laughs> my swamp. swamp. The Draco lives there. I like that. Now, the problem with that, though, is I realized very quickly, like, the problem, though, is when you tell players how dangerous something is, they want to find out they like, how go. dangerous. They want to go. Well, maybe they find out the hard way. Yep. So I actually like uh, what you guys both got going on here. Ian, with the, the warning, I think is awesome because something that we don't delve into enough with, at least in, in my experience, and yours may be different, is that giving out rumors of things in the area, but not necessarily making it a full-on hook. Mm-hmm. Oh, I heard about the Dracul. I tried to stay near the edge of his territory, but not quite going because I'll leave you alone. But then I saw some poor brown bird wander in. Got torn in half almost immediately. Oh, jeez. And given the stuff I can do this thing, I wouldn't believe it. <laughs> it is a giant, and it does speak if, uh, giant and draconic. What if the swamp this thing lives in? It never lived. It, it's new. It's Ooh, just coming to the swamp. It's a new home. And the swamp is actually a trade route between two specific cities. And because it's a dragon, half dragon, it wants Ooh, money. It wants, it's greedy. It wants gold. It's greed. So it's attacking caravans, just taking their money and leaving, hoard. and leaving food and all their carts and stuff behind. So now you have a rumor that like there's something in the swamp. It's attacking caravans. And it's not taking anything. All of our food's still there. Poor, poor. So the whole swamp becomes its hoard layer, and it just lets it the pile get bigger and bigger. Yes. I like the idea. I like that idea. Um, but instead of collecting golden treasures, it just collects trinkets. Because it's not smart, right? Just stuff. <laughs> yeah, it just collects. Use it's a hoarder. shiny stuff. Yeah. Bag of 100 gold, and it sees a, a, one of those sand dial clock things. Ooh, pointy <laughs> stick. <laughs> give it slap it. Give it a slap attack and call it slashing damage. It's just holding a sundial. <laughs> Um, so the other thing I think about is cool about this, you know, I gave it uh, a couple abilities, uh, amphibious so it can, you know, 
uh, breathe air or water. Um, swamp camouflage, so it has advantage in stealth and stuff. But my favorite's the frenzy. When it gets to half hit points, uh, you increase the da uh, dump damage granted by its strength. You double it. So yep. it has a plus four, so it, its attack would do plus eight, right? Um, and it stays frenzy, I believe, until it's dead or combat's done. Yes, or it gains more hit points than half because it has regeneration. Yep. So I thought it kept going even if it got past half until combat was done. Uh, maybe you can have it do whatever you want. Sure. <laughs> I think it goes. You're much. right. It goes up to a minute, right? Uh, so I really want to touch on the fact that I like that you can utilize this as a way to easily have other adventurers drawn to an area outside the players. So in my mind, I'm seeing this as a level at level one. This is a local lore monster thing that's going on in the, Oh, don't go to the, 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 you know, acid marsh, you'll run into the Drackle or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But adventurers are coming, but none of them ever come back. Right. Ooh. So maybe that encourages the players to take on their first adventure. And what yeah. if the troll is the Drackle? Pokemon games? Girl, come on now. Did y'all play Pokemon? I'm a yeah, full-grown-ass man. Of course I play Pokemon. I played the first Pokemon. You know, you know how you have a rival? Yes! She, that's what right where I was going. What if you have a rival and the rival's like, I'm gonna go kill this thing, and you have to go kill it before that. Not before I do. <laughs> you watch him fucking get ripped in half. Like, oh, God. <laughs> Ooh. I'm gonna keep this quick. Give me an idea. Reverse trolls. Re the regen only kicks in if they get hit with fire or acid. So it doesn't start until they do it. Oh, that's interesting. Magma trolls. That's fantastic. I like that. That's why this is in the volcanoes. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else about this that you think would make it a little bit better? I like the idea of it being a guard for a dragon, yeah. uh, like a guard dog. I... <laughs> yeah. Instead of uh, instead of barking, it's like, run, run, run. <laughs> I think since it's half dragon, maybe a lair action or two would be neat in the swamp. That could yep. be handy, yeah. I definitely think that that would be good, a lair action. Maybe. Like maybe rolling fog or vines. It's simple, so I could totally see it like uh, making something that just like a log that swings. Because <laughs> <laughs> it's big, right? So it would use its size to its advantage. Or if a summer vein, give it legendary actions. Trap, trap I'm good. Work. All right, that'll do it for our monster, the Drackle. If you play 5th edition and you want the stat blocks and all the lore that goes with this, please consider being a patron at patreon.com slash critacademy. Our game master tip today is... Pay attention to your players' characters. Have empathy, man. Come on. It's a game for all of us. Yep. It's not just your game as the game master. All right? That, unfortunately, is a common practice, don't you guys think? Yep. Yeah. That is a red flag. It is a red Anytime flag. Anytime anyone Run. says, yeah, it's my game, I'm like, no. No, it's a group <laughs> game. No, no, bro. Nah, bro. <laughs> but some nah, people bro. have that very gatekeeping sort of theme. But the importance of knowing and having empathy towards the players is that every player has different motivations for wanting to play the game. Mm -hmm. It might be, I love combat and I want to stabby stabby or blow something up. It might be, I love the lore of this world. I want to know more. It might be, I love just talking about the game and sitting with them and playing with them. It may be that I just want to hear the creations that you've made at the table. It may just be that I love stories and want to be part of story. I want to help tell a story. As a game master, it's important to not only think of what players and their characters are, from mechanics but what they want out of the game and for us i think that we as game masters should be taking the time to learn and be empathetic towards what they want and not necessarily <laughs> what we want and by showing empathy towards your players outside of the game and being considerate of their time and their boundaries you can create an overall better more positive experience <laughs> beyond just making sure you're engaging their characters what are your guys' thoughts on a little more empathy? 
So kind of to expand on that, I have a really, really good friend who I absolutely adore, and I've been friends with him for, oh, geez, seven years now. Uh, he is autistic, and um, while he's completely cognitively aware, he is nonverbal, um, basically. he'll He's able to say, like, yes and no, and, like, I don't like that and stuff like that, but uh, he is essentially nonverbal, and I have actually had him play at my table, and while he said almost nothing at the entire time that we played he was so happy to be there because he was just experiencing everything with us and he felt like he was he felt like he was right there and i actually had a couple of players be like hey so and so makes me uncomfortable because they never talk and i had to explain to the other people that he's happy like he's happy like that like he doesn't want to talk like right. I ask him, does your character go with you, them? And he says, yes. And one time he said no. And he was like, I want to go to the library. And I was like, okay, we can go to the library. And it was, it's just, it's one of those things that whenever you give someone a constructive and welcoming environment, you have no idea how much they're going to come out of their shell. Mm -hmm. And I am so grateful that I got to give that experience to somebody else, especially somebody who's nonverbal, who nobody gave that experience to ever. And I think that it's really, really important that you meet a player where they are. If they're nonverbal, that's okay. If they're an audience member, that's okay. If they want to kill things, that's okay. <laughs> the only time that it's not okay is whenever it starts to negatively affect other people. Right. And even then, you know, there is an amount of grace that everybody has to give everybody else because we're all humans. Yeah. So, yeah, that's kind of my two thoughts, two cents. <laughs> it's like. You're doing – like, by giving this empathy, by giving this space, you are making this person's life so much better. And not to mention, when you build off what the players enjoy, they will enjoy the game more. And that does not just mean how they play, but, like, their backstory, the things that they react to, and so forth. Right, right. And also, I do think that's worth mentioning that when you said, like, it's a red flag when the DM says, it's my game – in a similar vein, it made me think of a quote to paraphrase Tywin Lannister from Game of Thrones. Any man who says they are the DM does not have the right to be a DM. <laughs> I agree with that. Because I that's... am the DM. That's I, have, I wear shirts that say stuff like that in jest, yep. but I would never sit up and then yell at my players and say, I'm the game master. This is how it's going to go. That's a quick way to lose players. <laughs> Any man who says, I am the king, is no true king. <laughs> I'm guilty of doing that. Not specifically that way. But was, there's something I forgot. Uh, a character was captured, and she ended up uh, using a gun to uh, assist in a fight. Like, where'd she get that gun? It's like, I'm the DM, that's why. <laughs> she, she, she's got a gun. Yeah. To help, like, but uh, that's see that, but that's different. That's not leveraging. Yeah. Yeah. I'm the DM in a negative way to bring across yeah. a point to a, another player. The uh, I feel like the closest I've ever come to that was when a player did something I disagreed with in regards to play style, in the sense of that's not how I play, therefore you're wrong. I had to put my foot down. And said when I am DMing at a table, that is okay behavior. <laughs> okay, I can see that, and that's and that and. Tables are different, right? Yeah. But that's still a different mentality than yeah. I'm the DM, you're wrong. Right. So the other reason why I think this is important because when you show empathy towards your players, you learn what some of their fears might be um, and things that might affect them in a way. I've had a player at my table who had a PTSD. So explosions was a no-no because as soon as you start to describe that, those – those experiences from war start to rise. Now, I only know that because I showed empathy towards my players and say, hey, what are things that bother you? If you don't want to say it as a group, you can just email me or text me privately. And you don't understand what people's lives have been like. So there are some things that can cause, um, I hate the word trigger, but can trigger a well, response because that's an accurate description. That, but that is technically the correct term. Uh, yeah. uh, usually, though, there's people that use that as a derogatory term, and I hate, that's why I try to not like that. it. <laughs> yes, I know, but that's why I don't like it, which is what I'm saying. But the point I'm trying to make is that taking time to ask people about potential things can help you not only build a better story for everyone else involved, but can help get the creative juices flowing for the variety of different obstacles you can 
play because it's easy to say, oh, I'm going to send in a wizard that blows everything up. But you have to change your approach if that might send somebody into some sort of discomfort, right? And to a degree, in some cases, maybe even just changing the description can go a long way. Yep. Change a fireball to an acid ball. Problem solved. This is why session zero is so important. Yes. Void ball. Ooh, negative energy. Oh, listen, we're going to contact the negaverse, right, Brandon and Alicia? Yeah. That'll do it for our game master tip. Have empathy. Alrighty, that'll do it for Dyson Dialogue Cipher System Part 3. Join us in two weeks when we discuss Blades in the Dark. Heist the RPG. (laughs) Heist the RPG, yes! We're super excited. Alex is going to be running it for us. You're ready, right? Let's fucking go! (laughs) I love this game. I love this game. So hang hang on to your lug nuts, boys. It's time for an overhaul. If you enjoyed the show and you want to support us, Head on over to CritAcademy.com, buy some of our fat loots, check out our our RPG, Capes and Crooks, based on the 5e rule set. All of our other 5e stuff will tickle your dice with excitement. Follow us on social media, leave us a review. I am your host, Justin. I'm your co-host, Ian. I'm your co-host, Alex. And I'm your co-host, Brandon. Thanks for listening. Have fun on your adventures, and don't be a dick!